Hello and welcome to The World in 10, your daily roundup of the biggest stories across the world, written by our correspondents and reporters at The Times. I'm Jenny Barsby. And I'm Nick Ellaby. Coming up on today's podcast, months of speculation over who blew up a gas pipeline between Russia and Germany could soon be over. Also, Elon Musk puts his foot in it again. And Eva Cassidy sings with the London Symphony Orchestra 27 years after her death. Cast your minds back to last September. Underwater explosions tore huge holes in three of four pipes that comprise Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2, causing a massive leak of methane, which could be seen bubbling up through the Baltic Sea. We all saw those pictures on the news. No one claimed responsibility. So naturally, people started speculating. The blasts um, really created the, the biggest geopolitical mystery of the 21st century so far, because aside from Russia... Suspicions also fell on America and Britain and Poland, which had all been extremely um, opposed to the opening of the second Nord Stream pipeline. That's Mark Bennett. He's Times correspondent and former Moscow bureau chief. Mark's co-written a piece in The Times which explains how a small pro-Ukrainian group may have been involved. Yet there's no actual evidence tying them to the Ukraine government and the Ukraine government, I imagine they've denied knowledge of this well since the beginning. That's right. So now prosecutors in Germany say they've searched a vessel which is suspected to have been involved. It's alleged to be based on Germany's Baltic coast chartered by a Polish company, which ultimately belongs to two Ukrainians. There's a lot going on in that, isn't there? Huge amount. German media has reported now investigators believe a team of six, two divers, two assistants, a captain and a doctor, had got on the vessel at the German Baltic port of Rostock three weeks before the explosions. If that group was responsible, I asked Mark, why did they do it? If this was indeed um, a pro-European group that carried out the bombing, the motive would have been to very simply destroy the pipelines and deprive the Kremlin of um, a geopolitical instrument, um, which it could have used to boost its influence in Europe and also, of course, um, receive billions of dollars in, in gas revenues. And it would also could have been seen, would have been seen as, as an act of revenge for the destruction of Ukrainian towns, cities, infrastructure. Now, the noises are that we could find out exactly who blew up these pipelines very soon. Mark's also got this incredible interview today with a Russian man who's fighting on the Ukrainian side for the Russian Volunteer Corpus. Now, he's told the Times that he thinks the war will end when Ukraine finally invades and takes back Crimea, which, if you can remember, Putin actually annexed in 2014. And he says this will create the conditions for revolution in Russia. Now, this man's plan then is to drive a tank into Moscow, get this, up the steps of the Kremlin to plant the flag of the Russian Volunteer Corps. A force that is well-trained, united, well-armed and motivated will invade a country that is practically at the brink of civil war or revolution Mm -hmm. and Russian Volunteer Corps will be that force. And that's why I think our path towards the Kremlin wars will be not all too complicated. You can read... The full interview with the man who describes himself as an anti-Putin Russian nationalist on the Times website.
Let's turn our attention now, Nick, to Elon Musk and his latest faux pas when it comes to Twitter. It seems rarely a day goes by these days with the world's now second richest person is not at the centre of some sort of row. Today, he's been forced to say sorry for publicly mocking a disabled Twitter employee on the platform. Okay, so it all started after one of his employees who's based in Iceland tweeted Elon Musk saying he'd had access to his computer cut off and the head of HR hadn't been able to confirm whether he still had his job. So uh, I must apologise in advance for my pronunciation of this chap's name, but after a few follow-up messages, Haralda Thorlifson was told by email he'd actually been let go. And obviously not being able to resist a last dig... Musk, who took over Twitter last October, described his now former employee as the worst and also that he did no actual work and claimed as an excuse his disability prevented him from typing. Yeah, he really actually did say that. Just for some clarification, Mr Thorlifson has muscular dystrophy. It's a degenerative disease. He's been in a wheelchair now for 20 years. Musk has since apologised, but it's unclear whether... Mr Thorlifson is still with Twitter at this time. Now, to keep up with the latest on Elon Musk and the other stories featured in this podcast, why not take out a Times subscription? Now, a day after we found out the Goosebumps books are the latest to be rewritten to take out offensive words, Disneyland has quietly withdrawn the song Zippity Doodah from one of its parades in California after critics deemed it racist. The song, which is from the 1946 movie Song of the South, actually won an Oscar for Best Original Song, but since then, Disney's admitted contains outdated racial stereotypes. The film, which I did used to enjoy on VHS as a kid, is narrated by a former slave and has long been accused of romanticising life in the South for black people. So it's now emerged that Zippity Doodah was quietly removed from the set list of Disneyland's Magic Happens Parade when it returned in February, following a three-year break prompted by the pandemic. Arguably one of the most beautiful voices of the last century and taken from us before she ever got to make a name for herself while she was alive. Eva Cassidy, described in today's times as a shy singer with a voice of calming purity with perfect pitch and one-in-a-million talent, was really truly appreciated only after her death from cancer at the age of just 33. She's now sold more than 12 million albums. But thanks to the wonders of technology, the same tech that brought clarity to the Beatles' Let It Be sessions in Get Back, if you remember, Cassidy's voice has been isolated and now set against the London Symphony Orchestra in new arrangements by the composer Christopher Willis. Will Hodgkinson, the Times' chief rock and pop critic, told me more about it. Christopher Willis is famous for film scores like The X-Men and The Death of Stalin. And he said that, you know, generally when you uh, record with an orchestra, the voice doesn't come in before. And it's extremely difficult because orchestra players play against a page. They're, They're playing written music and a jazz singer, especially someone like Eva Cassidy, who's kind of folk jazz, doesn't always play in tempo, doesn't always follow the same meter. So that was incredibly difficult for him. Um, but the results are really beautiful. 
I Can Only Be Me by Eva Cassidy and the London Symphony Orchestra is out now. So I've just come down to the uh, 11th floor to speak to Susie Jagger. She's the Deputy Foreign Editor of The Times. Susie, what have you got coming up for us tomorrow? We're looking at a new trend in China of men having to uh, model female lingerie online because there is a law in China uh, which is largely a reaction to the flood of online pornography that the Chinese Communist Party blame on Western foreign influences. Um, So there are pretty amazing pictures of gentlemen dressed up in bras and thongs um, which uh, might bring a smile to you tomorrow tomorrow morning when you're uh, on the commuted. Before we go, just time to update you on a sports story we told you about on Monday's pod, the backlash over the planned sponsor for this year's Women's Football World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. The Saudi government are furious after the hosts opposed their tourism authority, Visit Saudi, being the tournament's main sponsor. Now football's world governing body, FIFA, are caught in a delicate balancing act trying to appease both camps. Top female footballers have criticised Saudi Arabia's criminalisation of same-sex relationships and their record on women's rights. The Saudis are upset their progress on women's rights and football, including launching a women's Premier League this season, hasn't been recognised. FIFA never told Australia or New Zealand about the Visit Saudi sponsorship plan either. Saudi Arabia is a lucrative source of income for FIFA, who are now scrambling to find an acceptable solution. All this on International Women's Day as well. And that's it from today's World in 10. Thanks for listening and we're back tomorrow.